Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My name is Brenton Ford, and I want to thank you for listening today. If it's your first time listening, this is a podcast where we look to bring you interesting guests who can help you learn to swim faster, more efficiently, and enjoy the sport of swimming a whole lot more. And before we start today, I want to thank everyone who applied for the Hell Week Swim Camp, which we hold in Thailand in October. We've got two weeks this year, and both weeks are completely full. So we've got a total of 50 swimmers and triathletes coming over with us to improve their swimming, to uh, learn more about their stroke, their swimming, and get faster, but mostly have a whole lot of fun. This is the fourth year that we're running the camp, and it's an absolute blast. And, and we've learned from each year that we've run it. Whereas we, uh, the very first year, everyone was completely smashed at the end of it. It was, it was really a, a hell week camp. And now we, we still definitely do some challenging sessions, but it's more about learning about your stroke, your technique, making changes to it, and coming away from the camp having had an, an amazing time, learning a lot, and having things to take away back to your own training so that you can continue to improve once you once you finish up at camp. So thank you for everyone who applied and I'm really looking forward to, to holding that camp and making it uh, a really good time for those that are coming along. My guest today is someone who uh, a number of people actually said you should really get this guy on and uh, his name's Gary Hurring. He's uh, a former New Zealand swimmer and coach who lives in Wellington. Gary has um, some very good credentials when it comes to being a swimmer. He won the gold medal in the 1978 Commonwealth Games in the 200 backstroke. Uh, he was on the New Zealand uh, Olympic team in 1984, uh, just missing medals in both backstroke events, finishing fourth in the 100 and fifth in the 200. He was also uh, one of the swim coaches on the New Zealand Olympic team in 2012, uh, and he's had a number of swimmers go to world championship uh, events. So um, Gary is a really smart, knowledgeable guy uh, when it comes to swimming, and we had a, a really good discussion on uh, a number of different aspects of, of swimming. Uh, some of the things to look out for uh, and things that I sort of hadn't heard before. He talks about the the pit of discomfort when it comes to making changes. He talks about taking one step back in order to take two steps forward. Um, so we, we delve into to technique, to training, but a lot of mindset stuff as well because particularly at that top level, a lot of it comes down to mindset and the way you think and the strategies that you use to overcome uh, negative thinking. So let's get into the podcast. Here's Gary talking about uh, how he got started in swimming and a little bit about his background. So I started as a three-year-old. My parents ran a learn-to-swim business and they used to stick me in a tractor in a tube and, and float me around in the swimming pool while they were working. And I'd be in there playing with toys. I had a, a netting bottom. And one day I fell out and they saw that I'd actually swum to the side of the pool. So that's how I learned how to swim, maybe by watching them. Grew up as a, as a good age group swimmer. My dad was very passionate about competitive swimming. Um, my parents were Olympic swimmers. My dad was an NC2A champ uh, two times. And my mother was an Olympic bronze medalist in Helsinki, uh, Jean Stewart, in the 110 yard backstroke. She, sorry, so as, a, as an age grouper, I did relatively well and then grew quite a lot when I was about 16 and finally I made the Commonwealth Games in 1978 uh, on my last attempt at qualifying. Did a lot of training in between qualifying and making the event and went through and won the 200 backstroke 
at those Commonwealth Games. So that was a huge breakthrough for me as a 16-year-old. I was disqualified in the 100 backstroke because the old touch turns that you had to do and uh, I didn't actually touch the wall with my hand before we rolled over. Went on from that competition to the World Swimming Championships and also got a, and got a silver medal at the 200 metres backstroke to an American called Jesse Visayo and that was in Berlin. Then had a some good successes the year after at the FINA World Cup. I won the 100 backstroke in 1979. And then we had a boycott of the Olympics in 1980. Uh, New Zealand boycotted with America. And so I didn't get to go there, which was my big dream, was to get to the Olympics and do really well. So I quit swimming at that point. I went to the Gold Coast and I, my other big passion is surfing. And I decided to take up surfing in a big way. I lived at Burley Heads for three years. And then I realized at the 82 Commonwealth Games in Brisbane, watching that, that I should be there. I felt that I had unfinished business. And so I trained, and got started training again, and uh, went back to school, um, set some exams, and managed to get a university scholarship at the University of Hawaii going there and so he managed to link me up to their swim team and so I went there and I competed at the Los Angeles Olympics in 84 and was uh, fourth and fifth, fourth in the 100 meter backstroke, fifth in the 200 backstroke and then I made the 86 Commonwealth Games team in Edinburgh but had a shoulder injury and that was sort of the end of my swimming career. After that I started coaching and here in Wellington, I got a coaching job and instantly had some relatively good success with a couple of female girls, both who got medals at the Commonwealth Games in 1990. And so I thought, oh, this is pretty easy, but then suddenly realized that it was a lot harder than I thought and spent the next 30 years almost building up a club in Wellington called the Capital Swimming Club, uh, named it and branded it and built it from pretty much nothing to one of the top three clubs in New Zealand over the period that I was there coaching. Had some very good success uh, over the years, ended up taking about 12 swimmers to world championships, um, had multiple New Zealand appointments to world champs and Commonwealth Games and Olympics. And highlights of coaching, probably having uh, a swimmer reach finals at the world championship level, having swimmers medal at Commonwealth Games, and uh, just having swimmers swim very, very well at, at Olympic level and Commonwealth Games level. I was New Zealand Coach of the Year a couple of times, and oh, back in 1978, I won the Hulberg Sports Person of the Year Award. So that was some of my big accolades as a swimmer and as a coach. And going back to when you quit the sport after the New Zealand team boycotted the Olympics, did you feel like you were done with the sport completely or you just wanted a, a break? And do you think that yeah, had you not have gone to the, the Com Games in, in Brisbane to watch it and sort of felt like you were missing out and then come back and ended up making the... Uh, the Olympics and, and going on from here. Do you think had that not have happened, you wouldn't have been coaching for the last 30 years and you would have done a, a different career? 
I think so. It's hard to determine and look back on that. But yeah, it was it was a defining, changing point in my life. I was labouring on the Gold Coast and, you know, being a brickies labourer. And uh, I was actually being trained to spray concrete swimming pools, ironically. But it was, you know, it was a lot of hard work. And I'm, I think my life definitely, I probably would have got into trades in some way or another. Uh, maybe being a coach, just as I was leaving, I, ironically, I got a, 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 my girlfriend at the time had organized for me to go and get a, a job interview with Dennis Cottrell back there in those days. So that might have been a good lead in, but uh, I don't, I honestly don't know. But I, I really am very, very glad. I felt that I had unfinished business and I'm very glad that I got back in the pool and, and gave it another shot. You know, um, otherwise I think I would have wondered what if for the rest of my life yeah it sounds like it turned out you know really really well and it could have it sounds like one of those moments that, that could lead to a lot of bitterness or regret down the track you know had you just sort of quit then and um and not come back and felt like you don't hadn't realized your, your full potential so it's um and then you're having coached for the last 30 years and you mentioned that it was a lot harder than you expected can you talk a bit more about that and why, why it is yeah, um, I mean, I think, I mean, there's no substitute for experience, and and the the experience I had as a swimmer was fantastic, but I really had to learn how to coach, and I had to learn how to portray the information, most of which, uh, well, a lot of it which I already knew, but you know, as coach, you're constantly learning all the time, and uh, you know, it was about sort of learning how to convey your messages across to people, what works, what doesn't work. You know, there's there's a lot of information that you end up learning and knowing as a coach that you just take for granted uh, as second nature. And you have to realize that just about all of your pupils or the students that you're working with they don't know that information and you really have to be, you know, almost boil things down to a nutshell and be very simple and specific. And I'm a firm believer in making what I call as a concept of forced drills, things that create a way that that almost makes somebody swim a certain way rather than saying, I want you to hold your elbows up high. I will do a drill that will help them to repeat holding their elbows high, it sort of forces that to happen. Or, you know, if you want someone to get their hips up higher in the water, getting them to swim with a band on will do that because they've got to forcibly get their hips up uh, with band only swimming, otherwise they sink. So, you know, certain things and adapting certain ways of coaching, in my opinion, a lot of time and a lot of experience and, and eventually at one point, and it was a point in my coaching when I actually became quite successful, was that I had felt like I, I had learned enough expert knowledge behavior and it was time that I started to coach the way that I felt was best to coach for me. And, uh, and I think that that was a defining moment in my coaching career because I sort of stopped following and became somebody that was almost the master rather than the apprentice that's yeah that's so interesting I've, i feel like i went through the same process when i went from swimming to coaching the first couple of years i 
didn't know how to explain all those things that I'd been able to feel and do in the pool and mm. and trying to teach those to, to people. It's almost like a completely different thing from just being able to swim to, to then teaching and, and coaching it. And uh, I like how you you talk about doing different drills and, and different things to teach the stroke rather than just get telling people what to do and hoping that they'll do it. That's one of the yeah. things that, that we do in the, the clinics that we run. So obviously do some drills there, but each drill that we do has a specific purpose behind it and mm-hmm. uh, and one or two key focus points that's going to help them make that aspect of the stroke, whether it's you know the elbows high, the elbows forward, uh, making that a part of their stroke. Because like one of the things we um, we talk about at the start is like kind of the the rotation that the elbow makes as it goes from the, the catch position so the extension position out in front and then moves into the the catch and pull through where yeah. so you can get the forearm the hand pressing back and get that forearm vertical so we, we kind of go through this exercise where we get people to make this rotation with their elbow um, mm. and we show them some some videos of it to show them what elite swimmers do compared to those that aren't quite as good and yeah. and we go through that but then there'd be maybe 1% of people who could actually just translate that into their swim without drills, but everyone else is going to need to go through some different sort of drills or exercises in the water to build up that feeling to make it a part of their, their stroke. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, I mean, everything's, everything's in physical activity as a, as a memory based system and a, whether, you know, it's all neuromuscular memory and just memory in itself. But for the pathways to be developed neurally, it takes repetition of doing something a certain way. And so, yeah, I agree with you 100%. You need to be doing, and, and that's why sometimes you need to compartmentalize areas of the stroke and specifically work on those areas. Uh, maybe even take it onto dry land and, and work in a kinesic way through, through dry land movements and then try and bring that into the pool. But without the repetition of and the habit forming of doing something the right way, though, you know, those, those neural pathways, they aren't strengthened and the myelin sheath between the neurons aren't, aren't strengthened. Uh, so as soon as someone then goes back into a work-related set, uh, they quite often they'll slip out of the patterns that you're trying to develop. So you know, I've always been quite a firm believer in, in get, trying to get stuff right before too much work is put onto a, an athlete uh, because I think through tiredness, swimmers tend to find the path of least resistance uh, in terms of muscular tiredness. And it's, it's often the most correct stroke that is the most tiring stroke. And, and so something will give at some point if, if the work is is unrelative to what you're trying to change technically. Oh, that's, it's so true. I, to give you an example of that, uh, two weeks ago, I, I went to, um, there's a, a swim lab, which is basically an endless pool with some cameras set up. Uh, I went to the, the swim lab, which I've set up near where I live actually, and just got some footage taken of my stroke because it'd been at least a year and a half since I'd, I'd done that. And then I had a look at it and there's a few things I wanted to change. and. And so over the last two weeks, I've been working on, on changing those things. And yesterday, and it's, it's starting to come together with some slower swimming, but it's very hard to hold at pace for more than 25 or 50 meters. But it's, yeah. it's a lot more fatiguing than what I'm used to. So I feel like if I was to do a, an open water swim of 2K, I'm just going to go back to my old ways. And yesterday I did a 
it was about a part of the main set was just a K with uh, with a pool boy on. Uh, it was aerobic pace, but I was going a little bit harder. But uh, after 100 meters or so, my stroke was just going straight back to normal. And mm. you know, it's going to take me probably four, five, or six weeks of constant focus and practice to actually make that stroke number one feel good, um, uh, but number two to be able to to maintain it and and do it without feeling like it's a lot more work. And so, like one of the things I, I get a bit of is someone will like we might do a session together or they'll come to a clinic and the next session they might be going slower and they might be a lot more fatigued and that's kind of what you you want um, if, if they're making changes because they're going to be using muscles that they're not used to that are weaker and it, it's going to take some time for them to actually build that up if they're not engaging their lats or they're not you know rotating enough and it's, it's going to feel very different it'll feel slower and unusual but over the course of time, if they can just keep practicing that, even if it doesn't feel good, it's going to work out faster for them. Yeah, that's so true. It reminds me of a concept that I, I picked up. I One of my the fortunate areas of education that I went through being a high-performance sport New Zealand uh, coach was a course that they have over here, which is a three-year coaching course called the Coach Accelerator Program. And one of the concepts we learned there was uh, an area that was described as the pit of discomfort. And apparently in all areas of learning, it's pretty much essential that you've got to go through the pit of discomfort to come out the other side of the pit to learn it and to develop it. But there will always be the, the uncomfortableness of uh, learning something new at first. Uh, and the tiringness, especially for an athlete, of having to go through the repetitions of trying to do something completely different and completely new and the, just the awkwardness of how things feel, you know, and I, I think that's a, a really important point for athletes that are, that are learning is that they make, it's something that I constantly try and reinforce with them is that they have to be comfortable at being uncomfortable uh, if they want to improve, because it is it is very much going through that uncomfortableness that's a sign that they are making some improvement. And it's it sort of goes beyond logic. And everyone thinks you'll tell them something and it'll it'll instantly work. But it's really very much a, a one step back to go two steps forward type of scenario that is it's more than what usually happens. It's what is supposed to happen if the athletes can all understand that learning to get better is an uncomfortable thing to do, and if they are uncomfortable, they are probably making those right steps and, and moving forward as long as the coach's eye is on them and the coach is saying, yes, that is what I want you to do, uh, then it's probably a very good thing and that they need to persevere with it. Yeah, I I really like that term, the, the pit of discomfort, and it's a bit like I had a, a yoga teacher, Jeff Grayson, so he works with, with swimmers, and he his term is if you feel like you're doing it right, it's probably wrong, and if you feel like you're doing it wrong, you're, you're probably doing it right in terms of making changes to, to whatever you're doing. So it's that discomfort and that feeling of not being familiar with whatever changes you're you're making and it's you know, it's like the the roller coaster of getting better at, at anything you know if you're going to go through some times which are really good and everything's clicking and you see that you know you see that in competition with those elite guys the swimmers like Caleb Dressel at, at world champs recently you know he had just one of those meets where he was on fire and swimming his swimming his brains out 
And then you know that when you go through a high like that, you're going to go through a stage where you're going to hit some resistance and things aren't going to feel so good and you're not going to feel on top of the world. So mm. it's to, to know to expect the, the bad times and the good times, but just roll with it and but just keep pushing on and, and just be able to identify which phase of it you're in and um, and just keep going with it. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, and, and that's such a huge part of our role as a coach is to help uh, athletes get through those phases. And you, you'll, you know, you'll get swimmers that are plat. You'll get this phases within phases. You know, throughout your season, you'll often be swimming slowly and tired. But as a high performance swimmer, once you start tapering and resting and focusing towards the big event, you know, everything starts to come right. And and it's part of that sort of a cycle. But there's also cycles that last, you know, sometimes years and. It is very much, you know, there's, there's also micro cycles and daily cycles that the work you're doing is making you tired, your muscles are breaking down, and then they're, they're regenerating and getting stronger. But in the meantime, you're feeling terrible, you're, you know, you're not swimming to your p- potential. And the, just understanding that is a big factor uh, that's, that athletes don't understand a lot of times, and they, they want to be feeling good all the time, obviously to be progressing all the time and I think uh, it's a big factor in coaching is trying to educate and, and allow swimmers to understand that uh, that it, sometimes it's part of the process sometimes we don't know either you know and sometimes you know it's athletes will think everything's right and have a poor performance and uh, you know sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to that either so uh, a lot of it is unknown but a lot of it is about persevering with the sport you love and especially as kids are growing up and becoming uh, adults there's going to be changes through their physical side and they've got to learn to uh, prepare for the ups and downs the roller coaster as you put it and what what kind of style of coaching do you feel like you have you know we you see um there's a lot of different styles from those who um who are sort of loud and direct and it's it's my my way or the highway, then you see coaches who have maybe a little bit more emotional int- uh, intelligence and they're able to really connect with their, their athletes and speak to them on a level where they're sort of on the you know, on the same level. You know, either style of coach can work and it, I think it comes down to personality style, but where do you sort of see yourself sitting in, in terms of the way you like to coach? Okay, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and someone else might differ from my opinion but uh, on me but um, I believe that I am a fairly relaxed coach I always liked to talk personably to my athletes uh, honest and truthful basis um, I'm very technically re- related I feel that swimming's an art form although I've been fascinated by the science of swimming I believe that purely scientists can compartmentalize that they like to sort of break everything and put it into a nutshell. And sometimes I think in swimming, uh, that can be a little bit too extreme. Uh, I, you know, I believe in simple concepts that of flow and technique and doing things right, reducing drag uh, and getting stronger with your physical side once you've developed the technical side you know, my father used to always say to me that, you know, what do you want to be, a Ferrari or a bus? You know, a bus can, it doesn't matter how big an engine you put in a bus, it's never really going to go fast. 
the Ferrari is is the the shape and the, and that's your technique, your uh, your vessel in the water, and you want to develop the Ferrari, and then you build the engine, and the engine will make the Ferrari go fast because the Ferrari's got so little drag. And that you know, as a young boy, that used to really resonate with me because uh, you know cars and trucks and buses and stuff. But um, I don't know, my style of coaching, uh, you know, I don't think I lose my temper very often. I'm not a yeller, a screamer. Uh, I try and just work with my swimmers. Um, I felt that I was always very successful in helping them pre-competition. And uh, we always used to tend to have a lot of success as a team at the big events because those were the areas we focused on. And I felt like I was very good with working with athletes in many instances, getting them to be calm before they raced rather than, you know, most times athletes are quite nervous and and a little bit uh, overawed before a competition. And quite often that just need, they just need to settle to realize that they've trained to do what they're about to do and to enjoy the sport that they have been spending all this time doing and get out there and enjoy it and have fun and so on. So that a lot of those concepts uh, I tried to bring back the enjoyment into swimming because I realized how tough it can be as a sport, but there's a lot of risks from it. So, yeah, I don't know if that's a particular style in any in any way, but that's sort of the fundamentals that I try and work with as a coach. And, yeah, I feel like the, the hard work is done once you get to a competition. You know, you've, you've done the training, you've eaten well, you've hopefully gotten enough sleep and rested, and then on the day it's just about getting into into to flow and just having everything sort of come together and uh, I had a guy called Nam Baldwin on the podcast and he's he's the high performance coach for uh, a lot of surfers like Mick Fanning and uh, and Steph Gilmore and he's very much into well one getting into into flow but using breathing and, and being calm before a big event or competition and he um, he went through the the routine that he, he uses with Mick Fanning before a big competition like the I don't know if you remember when he won the the world title and it came down to this I think it was the the quarterfinals at, at pipe and he um he had about a minute to go and he ended up getting the score that he needed and like just so much pressure that, that came down to this moment but you, there's this video of, of Mick sitting on the beach he's uh he's sitting down he's got his eyes closed he's rubbing his hands together and he, he said he uses that to just just to ground himself and it's also gets him in the mental state of I'm ready to go. Um, and then he has this uh, breathing technique where it's he's just getting his heart rate down. He's visualizing what he needs to do and, and what he's expecting to happen. And then he goes out there and he's ready to to perform. And he's been able to do that on, on so many occasions. And I, th- I think it's the, the athletes that have a, a routine and a, a process like that in place that can really put all, all of that training into to one big event. And, and when the pressure's on, they can stay calm and uh, and not overthink things yeah that, that's so true and allow the greatness to happen um you know something that springs to mind was a concept that uh the all blacks coach of the time graham henry talked to me about which was a concept that the all blacks developed after their loss uh to the, at the world cup to the french team back when it was in france i forget what year it was but they talked about red hat and blue hat and what was happening was when things weren't going right for the All Blacks, they were all getting this red sort of, uh, you know, getting this 
this way of thinking that was frustrating and they were losing confidence from it. And he taught them all little ways that they could individually develop the coolness of the blue hat under pressure. And some of the players would stamp their feet on the ground and others would hit themselves on the chest or something like that. Or, but little, little key movements to remind them that, you know, it's just one mistake. It's just something to move on from. It's uh, everything else is still there. Uh, otherwise, you, you can tend to, and you see this a lot of time in team sports, but it's the same in individual sports. You can see athletes lose their, their um, control and lose their focus and start thinking negatively rather than positively and, uh, you know, or pessimistically rather than optimistically. And... Um, there's many little tricks that you can do and breathe, deep breathing and breathing patterns are, are very much a part of that. And using deep breathing and, and working by opening your vagus muscle and, and so on uh, are very, very good proven forms of uh, lowering your heart rate, slowing it down and, and thus causing less stress to your, to your brain. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of actual physiological proof to breathing techniques that will help and there are other ways of just how you think it's very very important for competitive uh, excellence especially at that very top level a lot you know a lot of the top swimmers are doing very similar sorts of training and they're all at a, a very similar sort of fitness level and and strength level when it gets to the top 10 percent of swimmers at a, at a world champs meet and a lot of times it'll come down to who's got their head screwed on on the day and it's these little things that can end up making the biggest difference especially for something like the 50 freestyle where there's there's nothing in it and it all comes down to getting the start right and um, and being calm beforehand and just getting everything to happen at that moment in time so I think the mental side of things not a lot of coaches will often teach their athletes how to control their thinking and, and different strategies to help them get grounded or come back from being angry or losing focus so I think that kind of stuff and you're talking about the the all blacks and, and that sort of strategy you know, it doesn't need to be anything complicated but just something something simple and the one thing I took from from that guy Nam Baldwin is after a, a period of intense exercise then in order to sort of just you, you've got that up you've got that intensity you've also got to come back down and if you're short on time so let's say for example you've gone out and done an, an hour workout in the pool and it was it was hard and then you've only got 20 minutes before you need to get changed and get to work at least for, for five or six minutes whether it's in the car or on the on the train just slow your breathing down and you're aiming to get uh, to six breath cycles per minute or less to get into that the parasympathetic uh, parasympathetic state where it's kind of like the the rest and reset system for your for your body and so that's what i've started to do is after any intense exercise just do some very slow deep breathing less ideally three or four breaths per minute and that way i'm just kind of centered again and i feel like i've gotten the rest to be able to then focus on work or or something else yeah no that's yeah that, that's a really good concept i would have to try that one myself i think that really does work and yeah, just that really slowing the heart rate down and getting into a full, almost a meditative state is uh, 
is essential. But um, you know, even even for training purposes, it's not like you say for an hour of hard training. But you know, there's there's ways of thinking and and there's there's ways of tricking your mind. And you know, oftentimes I used to think, and when I was coaching as well, you know, sometimes it's the athletes that are prepared to go just that little bit further that are going to really succeed. And, you know, I'd often, I'd often question myself and think, well, what is pain? Uh, what, I mean, what is this, you know, somebody gives you a really, really hard training set. Well, what is it that's making you uncomfortable? Are you going to back off at that uncomfortable level point or are you going to push into it? Is that the area where you actually make that extra little bit of gain, that little bit of advantage or really persevering mentally on a skill you know, is that the point that most people give up? And if you really go that little bit further, that's when you can make the gain above everyone else. Yeah, I the way, um, like when I was I was training, when I'm training a lot and I'm going through a hard session, especially like a a set where it's like 25s or 50s or 100s, where it's you're pretty much going max effort. When when that lactic acid builds up and you're really starting to to feel it, I always it always happens. It's my mind says, well, can we, can we change it? Can we, is there some way we can like get out of this set or just, you mm-hmm. don't need to do another 10, 100s. You could just do another two and then, and call it a day. But the way I've, I deal with that now is I just go, oh, isn't that interesting that that's what my mind is thinking and wants to do. And I just try and separate myself from the, the thought, observe it, and then just let it pass and, and keep going. Um, mm-hmm. because it's, yeah, every time I'm going through some sort of pain, my, my mind send, sends this message of you don't need to do the whole thing. But um, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's about, yeah, looking looking from the outside at it and just um, letting the thought happen but not taking action on it. Yeah, I think, yeah that self-preservation thing. I know, and uh, it's, uh, you know, everything is relative in life and in, in training in, in particular. But, uh, you know, wh- once you've done... 10 400s hard, 10 200s hard seems easy. And, you know, um, but but that's just a, a very, very simplistic example of, of what I'm saying, you know, and, and part of training is about taking your mind to do things that are more tough than you've done before. And, and I think that's a crucial part of growth and development is going to that next level. I've, I've witnessed some trainers around the world you know i won't mention names but that that are just outrageously tough how how hard they work and what they do and you know usually they're often the ones that are getting those results but it it is about you know there's no way that they could have ever just done that as a eight-year-old or something like that they've developed that slowly over time and they've built up that tolerance to being tough so that then they can dive in and do a 200-meter butterfly and win the Olympic. It is that sort of toughness that creates a toughness. In saying that, I go back to my overriding theme of technique as a coach that I firmly believe that you've got to, that technique comes first and that you've got to, if the technique is slipping in a training set, I believe that that's the point where you've actually got to stop or you've got to move on to something else. And quite often, I, as a coach, I would, uh, if I see things aren't going right for someone, I'll actually pull them out of a set. So even though there's mentally, there's a mental toughness component, you've, the, I think the coach is being the eyes 
on the program, they've got to be very, very diligent about looking at how the, the movements are being done and and if those repetitions of bad habits are creep back in just through uh, trying to get extra work done. It's good to hear you say that. Like, I'm on, the, on a similar page where there's no point training the wrong technique and yeah you, you want to kind of get to that point when you're when you're swimming but if you continue to to just you know churn out lap after lap and the the strokes falling apart then you're just training the wrong thing and it's yeah there's absolutely that mental that mental gain and advantage you can get from just keep pushing but at the end of the day especially in swimming the last 25 50 meters of a race comes down to who can hold their their form the best because those swimmers that lose it you just see um you see them drop back for that last last 50 so um and and that's the art of coaching that's the art of of swimming is knowing when to sort of call it call it a day on a on a set and and knowing at what point you need to sort of make that call yeah change and adapt and and you know i think that's a it is a vital part of coaching um and I think it's important for a coach to be adaptable as well. I know one of the things I used to constantly do as a coach was every Friday I would turn up in the afternoon on Friday and I wouldn't have anything prepared for my squad. And oftentimes that was the most fun, interesting, beneficial training session of the week because I hadn't gone in and planned it all out and, and sticking to my program and all that. We We'd just... You know, and quite often I'd be standing there ready to write up on the whiteboard and still not know what to write. And I used to do it as also as a test to myself because I always feel that a good coach should be able to hop into any situation and be able to coach any swimmer at any level and come up with a really good training program. So it was almost a little test to myself, but it was always very interesting for the group to work that way. And you'd come up with all sorts of interesting and different types of programs uh by doing that yeah my um dad is a swimming coach and when he first started coaching was uh, how many years ago probably 20 it's probably 20 years ago now and he said when he first began he wanted to do everything right and by the book so every i think sunday night he'd sit down and take him two hours three hours to write down it, like all the programs for the week and they're all structured and they all had a bit of kick a bit of speed like it just perfectly structured but he was spending hours and hours on a sunday to to put together this perfect program and it, i think he said after a year or two he realized well what am i doing like i don't need to be this prepared for them to get a, a good result and it's kind of it's just it's taking a lot of the, the fun out of the coaching so yeah you of course you want to have some structured sets and you want to plan those out over the course of a couple of weeks and possibly months but you know some of the sessions let it yeah just make it up on the on the spots and um, as long as you know roughly what your what the purpose of the workout is then challenge yourself and 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 don't have anything planned and or you know leave it to the night before because um it, it can be kind of boring for you as a as a coach if you're doing that every session but also for the swimmers yeah mm -hmm. swimmers do love structure but they also like some surprises in there yeah, absolutely. That's so true. And there, there is a balance point. And you'll find some swimmers are very, very structured. And uh, coaches are too structured, I believe. And, and you know, it can almost be very dull and boring if, if the swimmers all know that on a Monday morning, they've got 10 200s. That's what we do every Monday morning. And every Wednesday night, we do this. 
it's great to throw variation into into programs and and stimulate them in different ways. I know what, as a swimmer myself, one of the favourite things that I used to look forward to was was get out swims, you know, and and uh, you know they're they're often seen as a big no no because you don't meet your your weekly kilometres or something like that. But quite often the most success and and improvement that you can get is through uh, things like, you know, if it's someone's birthday, they get to do a get out swim. And if they do a, a challenging time, the squad gets out. So you get everyone rallied around that. I mean, it, that's just one example, but just the variation of uh, stimulating it. I think it's really important that coaches bring back uh, to the fore why so many kilometers are being done in, in swimming and training and so why why you're doing all of this and so on it's got to be relative to what you're actually after what your goals are what you're trying to achieve and uh, and and really uh, trying to make sure everything is bought in line and and at every single training session then there is a purpose behind every turn and every stroke every streamline it's got to be. It's got to be a, something that's constantly in the foreground. Is is why I'm doing this. You know, why am I doing all six kilometer sessions or three kilometer sessions or whatever it is? What's the purpose? How am I going to get better? How am I going to meet my goals? And what are the things that I need to do repetitiously to get there? Especially at that top level, it's it can be such a grind when you're doing 10, 11, 12 sessions a week and it can often be early mornings you're not getting a whole lot of sleep or rest and like i've when i'm in full training and i'm just exhausted 24 7 then that reason why really needs to be strong because it's very easy to get into the the state where you, you're just questioning everything you're doing and mm. what's the purpose behind this and you, your friends might be going out or traveling and you, you see what other people are doing and might feel like you, you're missing out but if you've got that strong reason why and, and purpose in the back of your mind then you can delay that the, the gratification of um, of the work you're doing and you can have that patience and, the, and that mindset that everything you're doing is, is eventually going to pay off and and what you're doing is going to you know not many people have the the guts or the determination or the ability to stick with something for this long and, and work this hard towards it. And it pays off in every aspect of your life. And you know, when it comes to employing someone, I'd much prefer to, to hire someone who has been a, at an elite level in, in, in sport because they know what it takes to, to get there and they know the work that it takes. Whereas someone who's, or who's never really committed themselves to doing something quite you know, challenging and, and spent 12 months or, or more working towards a goal, they, I don't think they've got the same sort of character as someone who, who has. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you on that one. Mm. And, um, and so you're in, in Wellington and can you talk about the sort of coaching and the plans you've got uh, at the moment? Um, we spoke about it a little bit before the podcast, but um, can you let, uh, just give the listeners a bit of a background on what's, what you're up to now? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I have been working with high performance as a sport for quite a few years. My last role was, um, was the New Zealand National Development Coach, which I really enjoyed traveling the country and there was a lot of coach education uh, and swimmer development and swimmer education and traveling to campaigns with those swimmers. And uh, I really liked that role. 
Unfortunately, swimming New Zealand lost a big chunk of funding after the Olympics, and so uh, they had to cut several roles, including my one. Uh, so now I'm I'm really sort of refreshing myself. I'm doing some personal coaching. I'm doing some intern coaching where I'm just going around in uh, the country and substituting for coaches if they want to go on leave or running clinics, uh, running camps. And I'm enjoying that. It's really fun. I'm involved with building a swimming pool. So there's going to be going right back to a learn to swim program fairly soon. Uh, and sort of uh, taking my high performance skills to all levels or all things swimming related now, I guess, which is interesting. It's sort of going right back to what my mum and dad used to do, learn to swim instructors with a swim school. I've always been involved with water and, and, uh, and swimming and, and surfing. And so I think I'm too old to be learning to do new skills, I think I'll stick with this, and and just at the moment, it's interesting times, and just see what's uh, what's out there and what's happening in the future. I feel like we're uh, similar people from uh, different countries. My parents are both they run a learn to swim business as well, and come from that background and and surfing as well. So that's yeah, really really interesting, and it, it looks like it's sort of come full circle for you, where you've worked your way up through the ranks as a swimmer, then as a coach, and now starting that the the pool up and and starting to learn to swim business it sounds like you've pretty much experienced all facets of of what swimming has to to offer and it's uh, can be very different from the the competition to the coaching to then the 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 business side of things as well but all the best for for what you've got coming up and um, next time i'm in new zealand i'd love to uh, to meet up because we have a lot of friends in common through through swimming and a lot of people uh, have have recommended getting in touch with you to uh, get you on the podcast so guys like John Mueller and uh, and Mary Garner so yeah a lot of lot of people in common that we know and looking forward to meeting you sometime in the future that sounds great yeah I'd love to work with you at some point yeah absolutely I think next year I, I said this year I'm going to get to New Zealand and uh, and at least organize some some clinics and then the calendar just fills up. We've got these two Hell Week camps in October and then uh, I'll be away in September. It, it fills up very quickly, but I'd love to get there at least sometime next year because, um, yeah, yeah, great. yeah that'd, be, that'd be good. Well, Gary, thanks for being on the podcast. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and, and hearing your philosophy on, on swimming and, and coaching. And, uh, yeah, it's been great having you on here. Great. Likewise, Brenton. Good to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.